0: Thanks for joining me. Let's pray together and ask for God's blessing. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We are thankful for your presence with us. We ask that you would speak to us through your word and bless us. Guide us in the word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Between 1948 and 1994, There existed one of the most controversial political practices in all of the 20th century. To those born after that time, or even to those of us looking back all these years later, it can seem almost bizarre that the South African system of apartheid was ever practiced and accepted. Apartheid is a word that means separateness. The system of apartheid was one of legal racial segregation. It lasted almost half a century. Apartheid classified South Africans, and even visitors to South Africa, into racial groups—black, white, colored, and Indian or Asian. A law passed in 1949 made it illegal for people to marry someone of another race. Everyone over the age of 18 was forced to carry an identity card specifying their racial group. It was illegal for people of different races to use the same public amenities, such as restaurants, public swimming pools, restrooms. Blacks were relocated to live in black homelands. And in 1970, black South Africans were no longer considered citizens of South Africa, but instead were citizens of one of 10 self-governing territories. Of course, the system bred massive discontent, enormous protests, and drew international condemnation. Many, many people died. Many were brutally, cruelly, unjustly treated under apartheid. I might say, you just couldn't imagine. But sadly, here in this country, we can imagine it only too vividly. But when F.W. de Klerk was elected president of South Africa in 1990, he moved swiftly to end apartheid. Now, he controversially received a Nobel Peace Prize in 1993, along with Nelson Mandela. By the time elections were held in 1994, apartheid had been dismantled, and the nation of South Africa was being governed by a black majority. Now, you might expect that when blacks in South Africa assumed power, that their prime concern would be revenge. Many people expected mass bloodshed, vendettas, rioting. But what happened was something really rather incredible. Though it was imperfect, and though some people would strongly disagree with it, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission was set up, where victims and perpetrators of violence and injustice could testify. The chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Like the country's new president, Nelson Mandela, he was committed to seeing South Africa move forward and not descend into chaos. And after serving in that capacity, he recognized the one key component that would give give the nation surely Or should I say, that would surely give the nation a future. He said, there can be no future without forgiveness. The Bible agrees with these words. In Matthew chapter 6, right after Jesus gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer, he said this, "Is Matthew 6 and verse 14. He said, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, let me read that again, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now that's a whale of a statement. Jesus said plainly, unambiguously, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive. Forgive you. Now, he didn't say, if you don't obey me, God won't forgive you. He didn't say, if you don't serve others, God won't forgive you. He said, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. And that's a statement that many people struggle with. Because while you're sitting there wondering, does God really want me to forgive a certain individual for that? The answer that comes back to us from the Word of God is, yes. Even that. In Jesus' day, it was evidently spiritually fashionable for people to be religious outwardly, but inwardly full of garbage. Those pitiful Jewish leaders who didn't want to desecrate the Passover while they were in the throes of murdering the Son of God. Think of them. James and John, who were laboring with Jesus and planning on calling fire down from heaven and incinerating some people who they felt were uncooperative leaders in the church who were careful to fast and fulfill certain religious requirements, but they were planning to kill Lazarus. So when Peter came to Jesus one day to ask a question, he had to felt pretty righteous. He said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Jesus taught that it is the duty, and I would add, the privilege of the Christian to forgive. And he taught that forgiveness is a prerequisite for entering into heaven. Now, let me make this very clear. If you are an unforgiving person, or if you are holding on to grudges and slights and hurts and crimes, that you are flat-out refusing to forgive. Don't waste your energy hoping to go to heaven. Heaven is not for those who refuse to forgive. The one who had the greatest reason not to forgive was Jesus. There he was, dying for the sins of others. Not his own sins, but your sins and my sins. And as people were driving nails into his hands and into his feet, Jesus prayed to his Father and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's interesting, because they knew exactly what they were doing. Crucifixion was calculated to inflict maximum pain and damage, the greatest amount of suffering. What they did was intentional. Yet Jesus cried out to his Father and requested that his Father forgive his tormentors. While they knew what they were doing physically, They did not get it spiritually. Now, here's what I know. Sometimes it can seem impossible to forgive. Someone right now is saying, I know that I have to forgive. I know what the Bible says. But how do I do it? And that's a good question. How do you forgive someone who ruined your marriage? Someone who was unfaithful to you? Someone who ruined your childhood? How do you forgive someone who ruined you financially? How do you forgive someone who slandered you deliberately, who spread lies about you, who was responsible for you losing a job? How do you forgive someone who abused you or who killed your family member? How do you forgive a parent who ruined your life? How can a German Jew forgive his or her Nazi captors? How does an African-American forgive a racist system? or a South African, a black South African, forgive apartheid. These things seem impossible. But Jesus doesn't ask you to do the impossible. That is, he doesn't ask you to do anything that his grace cannot enable you to do. What do we read in Philippians 4 and verse 13? We read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, through Jesus. Even forgiveness for the most awful things can become real in your life. Ephesians 4:31 says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil-speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake. Has forgiven you. Well, let's, let's first consider what forgiveness isn't. Shall we do that? Everyone has forgiveness issues. Everyone. A lot of people would be able to let those forgiveness issues go if they knew what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness isn't forgive and forget, it isn't saying something is okay when that something is not okay. Forgiveness isn't necessarily forgiving and making up and pretending like nothing ever happened. And forgiveness is not necessarily setting others free. Well, let's talk about that. Forgive and forget. Great slogan. But you can't really forget what somebody did to you. Someone stands on your toe or bumps you in line. Okay, you're not going to think twice about that. But someone abuses you. No, you don't forget that. You shouldn't forget that. Some things it would be unhealthy to forget. Forgiving someone for what they did does not make what they did right. If someone has wronged you, what they did was wrong. Forgiving that person is not the same as telling that person that what they did was acceptable. Two very different things. And no, you don't necessarily have to make up with the person who you choose to forgive. In some cases, Where an individual is wronged? Who knows? It may be best to never see that person again. It might be best not to invite that person to Thanksgiving dinner. But you can still forgive, and you must, and you can still forgive meaningfully. And forgiveness doesn't remove consequences. You know that's true with God. You do methamphetamines and repent, or smoke and repent, or practice an immoral lifestyle and repent, God will forgive you. But you're still likely going to end up with a damaged brain, or damaged lungs, or a disease of some kind, and a loss of dignity. Even when you forgive someone, there are often consequences. You shoot someone, you might be forgiven, but you're still going to go to jail. No question. What forgiveness does is it frees you from being a slave to the hurtful things of the past. Forgiveness liberates you from the pain of your yesterdays and frees you to live an emotionally healthy future. Someone said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner was you. Forgiveness is the skill of letting go. As long as you hold on to resentment, you hold on to the person who harmed you. And why would you do that? There was a kid in the third grade who was awful to you, and you've been carrying that kid with you everywhere you go ever since. You might have done it for decades, and you let that person control you, be in control in your life. You're at the beach, it comes back to you. You're out shopping, the image comes into your mind, and you seethe. The kid hadn't thought about you in forever, and you can't go a week without feeling tight in your chest because of some kid who's been meddling with your life since you were eight years old. Anger will keep you stuck in a bad place. There are people who still feel angry about things that happened 10, 20, even 30 or more years ago. They are stuck, paralyzed. People won't forgive the church for something that happened when they were a child. Won't forgive the church school for something that happened decades ago, three, four, five decades ago. The teachers are all dead. But your anger is alive and well. No, forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it does transform the future. The winter 1999 issue of a magazine called Spirituality and Health had on its cover a picture, kind of a cartoon, I guess, a picture of three U.S. servicemen, all former POWs. They were depicted as standing in front of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. One of them turns to the other and asks, have you forgiven your captors? The reply comes back, no, I'll never forgive them as long as I live for what they've done to me. The first man turns back and says, then I guess they still have you in prison, don't they? Keep a couple of things in mind. Unforgiveness hurts you more than anyone. While you're stewing over something or someone That person's getting right on with their lives, and your unforgiveness and bitterness and malice doesn't hurt them one little bit. You think you're hurting someone else when you refuse to talk to someone? You're only hurting yourself. Feeling hatred toward a parent, a parent who may even be dead, certainly isn't hurting the parent. But it's definitely hurting you. I could tell you about two brothers. Their father was a good man, as good men are measured, but he had been at times hard to live with. One brother forgave his father for the father's difficult behavior, went right on with his life. The other brother held a grudge and was bitter, and it affected his whole life from then on. Forgiveness helps you much more than it helps the person you're forgiving. This is why Jesus urged us to forgive. Don't forgive, and you give that person control over your life. It doesn't make any sense to take a poison pill and hope that someone else dies. I remember doing some meetings years ago, and there was a young man who was wanting to be baptized. We met together. We talked it through. I was so happy for him, and he was too. But then he said to me, Pastor, I can't be baptized. I wondered why. He said, Because I hate my brother. Really? I said, Yes. He said, He did some things to me that I just cannot forgive. Oh, when? I asked. Oh, he told me. It has been years and years, and I feel hatred towards him. I really shouldn't be baptized? Hmm, I said, you're probably right. You can't say you've given your heart to Jesus if your heart is still full of hatred towards somebody. So I said, so why don't you just forgive the guy? He thought about that and he said, I cannot. Why? Because what he did was just too bad. I said to him, you can forgive something bad. Well, he said, maybe, but Things between us can never be the same again. Well, I said, that may be true. But who said they have to be the same again? He said to me, if I forgive him, things should be the same again. No, they should not, I told him. If you forgive him, things may never be the same again. Maybe they shouldn't be. I don't know. But even though things won't be the same again, you can choose to forgive. You can choose not to hold a grudge choose not to feel malice and bitterness, choose to forgive, choose not to hate, choose not to be bitter, choose to let all that go. And he could do that. And he did. And he was baptized. And the weight of the world was lifted off his shoulders. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He or she who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid, Dr. King said, of the power to love. Now, of course, there are people who are going to say, But what happened wasn't fair and it wasn't my fault. The problem is, friend, life isn't fair. Bad things are going to happen. That is just the way it is. Someone is going to do you wrong. Someone is going to say something bad about you. Someone will victimize you along the way. Some way you're going to be treated badly. So what if you choose to harbor hatred and ill feeling about the person? You hurt the most in the long run. And that malice, you feel. That hatred, you experience it, you take it on board. That unforgiveness, it becomes evidence that you are not surrendering to Jesus. Keep this in mind. I'm not saying that forgiveness takes away the pain your child dies in an accident that is somebody else's fault, you can forgive, but that forgiveness won't take away the pain of having lost a loved one. But saying what he or she did was bad, and that's that, might be true. That's just not going to help you. So let's walk through this. Excuse me. You can practice this. I want you today to get about the business of forgiving someone. Let's say something happened. Whatever it was, it happened. He said, she said, he did, she did. Whatever it was, it happened, and it hurt. So keep something in mind. Your memory of that event is almost certainly skewed in some way. Of course, that will differ with what happened. When it's a he said, she said, you'll tend to remember things in a way that suits you. That's just the human tendency. You'll forget that perhaps you were being hard to get along with. You'll forget some of the details. You'll forget that before your child got hurt, Mr. Smith had asked all of the children not to climb on his high stone wall. You have your view of events, and your view of events is most likely not 100% accurate. I remember getting together with some of my high school mates. Years ago, we started telling stories about our glory days, and I was shocked at what some of my friends were convinced was absolutely true when it absolutely wasn't. Our memories are interesting things. They memorized things one way or remembered it one way. I recalled things another. Now, you might say, maybe their recollection was right and, John, your recollection was wrong. Well, either way, here you've got different people remembering the same event in different ways. But I could tell you, They said, oh, we remember when you did this. I never did that. We remember when you went there. I've never been there in my life. Our memories are interesting things. Our backyard where I grew up had this enormous hill that sloped down this way towards the back fence. I learned to ride my bike down that hill, took my life into my own hands. Down the hill, my brother-in-law balanced me, pushed me down the hill. It It was sink or swim, man. Down that steep hill. A few years ago, I took a look at that hill. You know what? It's hardly even a slope, barely a hill at all. There's nothing to it. But of what I remembered all those years was something like the north face of Mount Everest. When we think of wrongs that occur to us, we remember events from our own point of view always with some kind of bias. Very often, people react with a stronger emotional reaction to an event than that event actually warrants. I say that this way. Your anger is very often disproportionate to what really occurred. What you want to do in forgiveness is not to forget what happened, but to remember it in a different way. Isn't that true? Negative statements impact us more than positive statements. Scientists tell us that we experience negative emotions four to ten times more intensely than positive ones. Think about it like this. You do a special music presentation. You sing at church. After church, 17 people say, Well, thank you. I was blessed. Amen. Praise the Lord. That was nice. And then one person says, That was good, but I counted six times where you were off-key. All afternoon, what are you going to remember? It's that that you'll remember. It will eat you up. That's what you'll think about when you go to bed that night. And you might start thinking about how you can get back at that person who said that unkind thing to you. I'd encourage you to try to be as accurate as possible in your view of what happened. If you've fallen out with a friend, this becomes important. If a drunk driver hits your brother, I'll admit that you think about this a little differently. Think of something you're having trouble forgiving. Now, have you got something? Evaluate what happened really carefully. And then it's a good idea to do what Dr. Dick Tibbetts calls reframing. Dr. Tibbetts wrote a very good book on forgiveness called Forgive to Live. And a few years ago, we did two interview programs about forgiveness. Strong stuff based on his book and his vast good, excellent experience. Now, this doesn't mean that you change what happened in reframing, but you move the frame that you have around your memories so that you let in more detail. You've got to try to see this thing less like you do and more like Jesus does. For instance, you say, my father was harsh and mean and controlling. You know, that may be true. Let's say it's absolutely true. But if you're ever going to get past that, you need to add a few more things into that whole picture. How about, how about recognizing that your dad or your mother was a product of his or her environment? You can say, what my dad did was wrong, but when I remember that he too was wronged when he was younger, when I remember that his parents were impossibly hard on him, when I remember that his generation was very different to mine then I'm not going to be so hard on him as I remember. People who've been abused might consider remembering that abusers have themselves often been abused. Now, listen, that doesn't give an excuse for abuse in any way. But you remember that what that person has done has nothing to do with their power. It has everything to do with their weakness. And when you do that, you've just made it easier to process what happened. You've reframed the picture. It makes forgiveness more accessible. It makes it more likely to carry out in your life. The more you can reframe something, the more you can take on the eyes and ears of Christ who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, the more healthy you're going to be able to be. Gandhi said, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. He said, if we practice an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, soon the whole world will be blind and toothless. Your friend says something hurtful about you to someone else. You can't understand it. You're hurt. You could say, that's it. No longer my friend. That hurt, I'm bitter, and I'll never ever get over what was said. Or you could look at it differently. This has been my friend for years. She, he, she has always treated me well. It's possible I had upset her. Maybe she was just having a bad day, or maybe there's some background here that I don't understand, or maybe what he did was wrong, but there's no need for me to stay stuck there. And besides, I've done plenty of things wrong that others have forgiven. So perhaps I can choose to be forgiving. I choose to forgive and not feel bitter or angry. Today, it's popular for people to crucify others for the things they've done. Think about, think about how people go after other people online. Somebody writes something, tweets something, posts it on Facebook, and that's it. There's war. Lives have been ruined because jokes have been misinterpreted, or because someone posted something without thinking, or they did it in frustration, but of course, the statement lives online, and... We don't want to forgive people because they were tired and hungry when they pressed send in frustration and anger. You know what I'm talking about here. People do it all the time. You get a snappy woman serving you at the checkout, and you say, probably having a bad day. You're not making that person's rudeness acceptable, but you've reframed it. It wasn't a personal attack on me, so I'm not going to take it as one. Some of us who are thin skinned have a harder time with this. Might be time for some of us to develop. Thicker skin. It also helps when you try to see the person who hurt you as a person, not as a demon. No, he or she most likely wasn't trying to ruin your life. Most likely didn't set out that day to slander you. That person was more than likely dealing with pressures and struggles. That person may be having a bad day, maybe under the influence of something, or maybe raised a certain way so that he or she sees things differently. When you try to get inside someone else's head, it helps you to develop an attitude of forgiveness. When you forgive, you remember in a different way. And yes, it's not easy always. You may have to forgive often. Don't think I'm trying to minimize the reality of the pain that you might feel over something that's happened to you. Betrayal. Unfaithfulness theft, slander. You may have to go through this process multiple times, and that's okay. That's often the way it works, and it's important. Remember what Jesus said? If you don't forgive people their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And there's something else to consider, and that's this. Forgiveness is actually medically good for you. Think about this. Have you ever been terrified? Maybe you did something that frightened you. You you, you rode a roller coaster. You jumped off a high diving board. As a kid, I swam in the river a lot. And down at the river, the boys used to jump off the train bridge, sometimes even the car bridge, which was higher. Where I would swim all the time with my friends, there were high trees. you jump out of the... Well, some people would jump from the heights. One of them, I remember, had a real high place to jump from. But you know I never jumped. Never. I would leap from the tree down lower, never from way up high, never jump from the train bridge. I'd stand up there wanting to jump, wanting to be like the others, wanting to do what they were doing. Sure looked like, I was going to say looked like fun. Frankly, it looked dangerous, but it was fun for them. I'd stand there wanting to jump and my knees would buckle and my heart would race and my stomach would feel, uh, it's sort of hard to describe. I hadn't actually done anything. But standing there thinking about something that actually couldn't hurt me anyway just tore me up. You've most likely been, I'm certain you've been in a situation where you get sweaty palms and all that. Your thoughts, your emotions react upon you in a physical way. Writing in the New England Journal of Medicine, one researcher suggested that not forgiving, listen, not forgiving can have more to do with an unhealthy heart than high cholesterol. What's been proven is that choosing to forgive lowers blood pressure quite dramatically. One person in Dr. Tibbetts' study had their blood pressure drop from 154 over 102 to 120 over 80 in just eight weeks. A person who is most prone to anger Is three times more likely to have a heart attack than someone who is least prone to anger. The truth is, anger can kill you. It kills. It's the choices you make that affect your life the most, not the choices others make. It's the choices you make that affect your life the most, not what others have done to you. At its core, Forgiveness is a choice. Of course, you have to decide when is the right time to forgive, and there are probably ways that you can be unhealthy about all this, about forgiveness. But with God's help aiding your choices, you can forgive and be healthy, physically and, most importantly, spiritually. As a child growing up in the Roman Catholic Church, I could never escape one line from a hymn that we would occasionally sing. I have four brothers, two older sisters too, but they're, they're angels. Four brothers. My next oldest brother and I very often got along or, or didn't get along, like two brothers might sometimes do. But this line from the hymn would never let me go. It said, how can we love God above and not our brother." The Bible is all about forgiveness, a rebel race forgiven by a loving God. Calvary demonstrates God's incredible capacity to forgive. The sanctuary service, salvation and forgiveness. Forgiveness will help you deal with the anger and hurt from the past with the purpose of getting back your peace and giving yourself new hope and purpose. I want to tell you about Sue Norton. Sue Norton's parents were murdered in January 1999, I think it was. It was in the 1990s, in their isolated farmhouse in Oklahoma. Her father had offered his killer help, given the man directions. But it's what was taken that was so tragic. The crime netted the murderer the grand sum of around $60, depending on which report you read, and an old truck. Oh, and a death sentence. Sue sat through the trial of the killer, the man who had killed her parents. And she was confused about the way that she should feel. While people all around her were consumed with hate, she found that she couldn't feel hatred toward the man. The last night of the trial, she prayed and in the morning felt that she didn't have to hate the man who had killed her parents. Instead, she thought she could forgive him. The next day, the story is reported, while the jury was deliberating, Sue got permission to visit the man who was in a holding cell. She said she was frightened. But to begin with, when she approached the cell, the man refused to look at her. She said, I don't know what to say to you, but I do know that I don't hate you. My grandmother always taught me not to use the word hate. She taught me that we're here to love one another. If you are guilty, I forgive you. Now, the man thought she was messing with him. He couldn't understand how she could possibly forgive him for such a terrible crime. But Sue Norton said, I didn't think of him as a killer. I thought of him as a human being. People thought she'd lost her mind. Friends would actually step to the other side of the road to avoid her. But she said there's no way to heal and get over the trauma without forgiveness. She said you must forgive and forget. We talked about that. That's what she said. You must forgive and get on with your life. That's what Jesus would do. Up until the man, the, up until the time the man was executed, Sue wrote to him, and visited him occasionally. She became friends with him. You know what? Because of her love and friendship, the murderer became a committed Christian. Do you think it went better with her because she chose to forgive? How would it be with you, and you choose to forgive? There might be someone right now that you need to forgive. And keep this in mind. When you needed forgiveness, God was willing to forgive you for a crime that you did commit, to the extent that Jesus was willing to lay down his life and die so that you might live. Forgiveness. How's it looking in your life? What did Jesus say? If we're not willing to forgive others, then God's not going to forgive us. Now, God doesn't forgive because we forgive. He forgives as we forgive. But you give God the opportunity to remake you, grow you even a little more. Unforgiveness? It's too late in the history of the world for that. We are getting closer and closer every day to the return of Jesus. And on that day, there will be a people on the earth who reflect the character of Jesus to the world. And that's not a character of unforgiveness, but of forgiveness. This is where the rubber of Christianity meets the road. This is the nuts and bolts of faith. Why don't we ask God together to cleanse us and place within us this divinely born capacity to forgive. Let's pray for that now. Our Father in heaven, We do want to be the kind of person who exemplifies the character of Jesus. He would not hold a grudge. He would not hate. He would not withhold forgiveness. We thank you that you are a forgiving God, full of mercy, ready to forgive. In this moment, we pray and ask you to place within us the capacity to reflect that characteristic of Jesus. Friend, if you want that, Lord, give me grace to forgive. As I accept your forgiveness, give me grace to forgive others. Would you lift up your heart towards God? Or if you're able, lift up your hand. Lord, see my hand in my heart. Do that miraculous work in my life. Friend, pray that prayer. Lord, hear us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you and thank you for joining me.